Welcome to Let's Talk About Shreks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. This episode, Jack and Earl let sleeping board lie. It's Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 12. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. I am Earl Grey. I'm Jack Dorino. And this is Let's Talk About Treks. Today, we'll be discussing Star Trek Prodigy. Season 1, Episode 12. Uh, rumor told me. <laughs> let sleeping board lie. It is. This episode is written by probably my favorite Star Trek prodigy writer. That's Deandra Pendleton Thompson. I'm so proud of her. <laughs> it was also directed by Olga Ulanova and Sung Shin. The release date was the 3rd of November, 2022. It is the 11th of all Star Trek prodigy episodes. And the 865th of all of Star Trek. It takes place in 2384 on Stardate 61284.3. Thank you. Let's walk through the episode. Yes. Did you see the uh, Delta flyby this time? I did not. There's a Delta flyby? Yes. thought I saw something submerged in the clouds, but I wasn't sure what it was. I'll have to see it again. No, I didn't even see the flyby. Lucky you. Maybe it's a regional thing. Oh, I hope not, because I would like to be able to talk about it next time. Well, you talked about it this time, so what's the difference? (laughs) Well, if there is a subtle hint in the clouds of something, you can help me figure out what it is. As this episode begins, we are in a holodeck recreation that I thought was a flashback. Right. I kind of did, too. I wasn't sure what Dal was doing there, and I wasn't sure if they were trying to do a retcon. I wasn't sure how the Protostar even got any of these images. Can the computer scan our brains now for memories? No. (laughs) Wasn't the protostar there? I didn't remember that it had been, but maybe I need to go back and review the uh, end of the first half of the season. You mean Immoral Star Part 2? Yeah, that one. So here we have the Diviner uh, walking through the scene and explaining how the secret weapon works in that, you know, it's going to go and, you know, viruside the entire Starfleet and uh, turn it all against itself. Mm-hmm. Which we kind of learned last episode that that's kind of what it does. Yes, we did. During their conversation, Zero mentions that everywhere they went prior to going to that starbase was completely without incident. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say without incident entirely, but... No, 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 they... no, 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 no. The places that they went that Zero was referring to are between a moral star and the episode where we went to the starbase. Yes. Oh, I see what you're saying. They didn't encounter any baddies or anything like that. No, I'm not saying that. Oh. I'm saying that they're inferring that just because they reached the communication relay mm-hmm. last episode doesn't mean that nothing happened between a moral star and that episode. They had other adventures beyond that, which last episode we sort of assumed that, but now we've been giving confirmation in the episode that there were other places that they went where there was no incident. Oh, right. So that 30-something weeks that we were without them, they were still having adventures. Yeah. So is it me or does it look like Murph finally ingested something which made actually made him sick? It's just you. I think Murph is starting to cocoon. We've, we've discussed this previously that Murph is going to turn into a cocoon and then emerge as something else. And I think that this, is, this process is starting. I don't think he ate anything. I think it's, this is the process. Oh, okay. This is like Saru getting sick and his ganglia falling out. <laughs> Somebody suggested that he was just getting sick of the talk of time travel. It was rock talk. 
It was. Who can't aim for a ship. Oh, by the way, speaking of which, uh, <laughs> I did go back and check, and the stars in last episode were not moving as we track with the protostar as it's rotating around the, the station, mm -hmm. which means that the station is not turning, just the ship is rotating around the station for some reason. <laughs> which means, which lends credence to the idea that, yeah, if they jumped out, they should have hit the protostar, which basically they did had they not been going so fast. Well, and Janeway could have just piloted the protostar to go pick them up wherever they were. I mean, really, why was the protostar moving? We never, we never really kind of established that. Like, why is it just revolving around the station? You know, I think sometimes when they come into a station, they talk about even still going into a standard orbit. There was an umbilical attached. The, well... They shouldn't have been moving at all. Yeah, yeah, at that, that point, yeah, they yeah. shouldn't have been moving. But they had already disattached the umbilical, but who knows why they were moving, though. Yeah, uh, I would ask Hologram Janeway. <laughs> um, speaking of which, uh, Hog actually challenges Hologram Janeway's ability to know everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and she admits it. She's like, touche, you're, you're right. I think she would know everything that the protostar knows, though. But if they're hiding a virus and it's supposed to be a Trojan, then the protostar wouldn't know about it either. I, I think this could be true. Um, it seems as if they they could have scanned for non something non-Starfleet aboard the ship, <laughs> and it should oh. have turned up. Oh, perhaps, yeah. Maybe they need uh, better McAfee. Virus protection virus protection yeah okay i uh, maybe it was don't ever buy mcafee it's terrible <laughs> it uses a yeah. lot of memory for yeah. no reason at all just, yeah just you know side note <laughs> i i was being completely ridiculous there, i was right? talking to the audience <laughs> so um what happens next just as we're getting to the moment where zero drops uh zero's clothing and uh and drives the diviner mad which happens to people by the way when i drop my clothing as well <laughs> uh zero ends the playback yeah and i'm curious did zero end the playback because the playback version of zero would also drive everyone mad because zero said something about i i'd be upset if i you know hurt anybody else yeah that occurred to me too they seem worried that it might have an effect. Maybe they already have experienced something like that. In any case, Zero goes off to go sulk, apparently. <laughs> I, I realize, you know, in every Star Trek, we generally have a character who plays the place of the audience in the story. Mm. Like in Star Trek The Next Generation, we had Wesley Crusher, who was supposed to be, you know, the, the kids watching the show. Mm -hmm. I think that same role was originally intended to be played by Kess in Voyager. Mm, okay. Um, or like, you know, Jake Sisko in uh, Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. I think that in Prodigy, we have Pog, because Pog tends to be the one who explains everything the, sim the most simply. <laughs> you know, like, there's a thing that we have to go find aboard the ship. Like, he just, he, he literally, like, screams it, like, like yeah. just so you guys know what's going on in this episode. Yeah. Well, Pog explains everything, and Rock, I think, is our emotions. Okay. Which is weird, because she's not... Or, yeah, they're not much of a Rock if they're explaining their emotions all the time. So then we run off to go search, and uh, Zero, who has come back out of the sulking moment, says that we should probably search the bridge, which I don't know why they wouldn't have 
thought to search the bridge in the first place. As we're searching the bridge, Mm-hmm. We sort of had a little touch back to our learning about Starfleet moments, right? Because mm. Jake and Pog starts lifting, listing off the standard materials used to make a Federation starship. You know, like the tritanium duranium alloys and the transparent aluminium. <laughs> <laughs> Are you turning British on me? Scottish. That's what Scotty oh. called it in uh, uh-huh. the one with the whales. Oh, okay. So we we come across this symbol of solemn that's in the floor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gwen technomages her key, you know, out of the the thing that the diviner gave her, her heirloom. Mm-hmm. And they discover and open up a little subduct that's sort of halfway between the the bridge and whatever the is at the back, you know, the half deck or whatever that's at the back of the bridge and stuff. And that's where we find our our weapon. We do. I'm wondering. So, do you think there was an empty space? below wharf on the enterprise d like when you take that ramp up is there actually like like a like a crawl space under there i mean there there certainly could be uh maybe they have extra wire. oh maybe that's where how they get the wiring from you know the consoles behind him to his little arc thing so that he he doesn't have to be wireless and recharging it all the time Mm, uh, okay (laughs) do you follow where yeah, I just, I don't, so Star Trek The Next Generation doesn't feature any wireless technology. I mean, um, sure it does. This is but... why Data has, no, it doesn't. <laughs> this is why Data has to keep connecting to the ship in order to do he's things. Dra- he's dragging a little tail behind him. Yeah, there's nobody, there's no, there's no Wi-Fi in Star Trek The Next Generation. There's no Bluetooth. <laughs> um, this is a universe that exists without wireless technology. <laughs> Even though in the day we have things as advanced as wireless handsets for our telephones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I guess they have pads. Yeah. The, I always assume the pads, I mean, they're personal access and display devices. I assume that that meant that that device connects to the LCAR system. Yeah. And, you know, sends data back and forth wirelessly. Yeah. Uh but I mean, we've had phones, we've had mobile phones since Star Trek Next Generation time, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, we yeah definitely. So I'm, I mean, I know, the technology is a little confusing here. <laughs> when they find the thing, the living construct in that little sub deck, uh, Jacob tries to phaser it. Mm-hmm. And this is when we learn that it has a little bit of self-defense, sort of like a Mr. Smith in the Matrix sort of self-defense, just kind of like yeah. dodges out of the way. Or, or keeping it in Star Trek, Odo in the first episode of Deep Space Nine. You know, when you throw something at him, he just... Yeah, it's actually exactly like that. <laughs> I remember that. That was probably the coolest, most expensive scene they ever did in that it, it was. first season. Yeah. Uh, it, it still is perplexing to me when Zero needs legs and when do, they don't. Yeah, it's... Zero is quite a conundrum to me. I, I feel like zero is only using legs for show mm-hmm. because zero can float whenever mm-hmm. but there's also a thing that zero does which is not help people get like climb places like nobody should ever have to <laughs> climb anywhere because zero can yeah. float so yeah. zero should just be like floating and carrying people around and as a matter of fact zero seems to me to be powerful enough that zero could just like carry everybody if the carapace were a little bit larger <laughs> yeah yeah so there's a there's a proximity alert that pops up and my question in this moment is mm-hmm. who is moving 
Hmm. Because a proximity alert means someone came into your proximity. Yeah. Or you came into their pro- somehow it they entered your proximity. So either the protostar is moving. Yeah. And where are we going with no one on the bridge to guide it? And yeah. or the Borg ship was moving. We've de- we determined very quickly that the Borg ship has gone to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I I just don't understand how a proximity alert could start. <laughs> like because well, we should the Borg ship is if the Borg ship was already there, we should have already gotten the proximity alert. No one ordered the ship to go anywhere. So how did something come to a closer proximity while they were in the subject? <laughs> Small little plot hole, I suppose. I mean this yeah, I think that I may have found the very first plot hole in the entirety <laughs> of Star Trek. <laughs> On the other hand, could the device have done something? to move the ship around or oh, like maybe the living construct called called the board maybe the living construct is actually uh an evolution of peanut hamper keep it in your pants <laughs> and as soon as peanut hamper felt threatened they called the board <laughs> one thing i noticed about this cube is that it's very familiar mm. um there was a in the collectible card game and also yeah. in a game called wrath of gems there was a, a board cube specifically called the tactical board cube, board cube yeah. which had sort of the similar plating ar- around parts of it that this ship has. I also note that there is a sphere set into the side of the cube. Yeah, is that supposed to be like the uh, the queen's uh, yacht? Thank you for bringing her up for me because there is no mention of the queen during this entire episode. There isn't. Yeah, I mean, there is it, none. So this could be so there there's several different avenues that we can go here. One of those avenues I can't talk about directly. I'll do my best to talk around it. Um there was a small tweak that happened during a recent season of Star Trek to the Borg Queen. Now that's not to say there's not a Borg Jack. Queen anymore. There's still a yes. It's okay. I was reading up a little bit on it so you can talk about the timey wimey stuff so the the borg queen has changed to a different queen yeah like before it was sort of like procedurally generated from the borg itself but now an actual person has taken over that role Mm. uh in that other series so the fact, so the okay, so the fact is, Janeway says, uh, someone says, I believe it's Janeway that says <laughs> that the Borg have been shut down by like a neurolytic toxin. Oh right, yeah, a neurolytic toxin, a, a neurolytic. In today's parlance, a neurolytic is a medicine that's given to uh, destroy nerves that are bringing signals of pain. Mm, okay. So perhaps, so perhaps in this parlance, they're saying that some sort of virus has been inflicted on the Borg that stops their nerves from communicating with outside vessels. And maybe this particular Borg cube has been cut off from the rest of the collective. Yeah, well, I think it's implied that this was the toxin that Admiral Janeway from the future in Endgame introduced at the end of that episode and a lot when she allowed herself to be assimilated by the queen and somehow they're still affected by this some five or ten years after that event okay all right so then we have we actually have another little lesson on starfleet which is the lesson about the borg that 
Janeway gives us. Mm, yes. Which is during the time that, you know, she tells us that it's the neurolytic toxin. Yeah. When Janeway's discussing the whole weapons thing, that's what gives Gwyn this idea of if they're going to learn our weapons and so that they can overcome them until they're useless, then we should do that with the living construct. You know, make them overcome the weapon that is the living construct. Yes. Difficult task, but Dal says that we, we do have to try. Yeah, I mean, it sort of makes sense what everybody's saying here. Janeway's kind of freaked out because she apparently has the life experiences of biological Janeway. Mm -hmm. So Zero says that the Borg are are sleeping, which mm -hmm. takes me all the way back to sleep data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I guess we're going to go onto the Borg cube and see what's going on over there and see if we can find a way to defeat the living construct using the Borg. Yes. I believe that in a normal episode of Star Trek that this would be the end of the teaser. Yeah, I think that was more or less the end of the teaser. Okay. So now... Shall we uh, take a break? I think we'll do that. All right. And we'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Isaac here from Unplanned Trek. Like our good friends at Let's Talk About Treks, each week we do a new show, we put it up at where you listen to podcasts, and what we do is we focus on Star Trek. Any episode or movie from across all the Trek canon is open each week for us to attach our unique lens to it and dissect it with a little bit of humour thrown in too. So if you like these guys, give us a go too. Search Unplanned Trek wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us. Yeah, it's really nice of Janeway to... Well, it's really nice of the producers of the show to show a little concern for the kitties. We don't want to influence people to start drinking coffee because coffee is really bad for you. So <laughs> Now I get why they did that. Yeah, so we, we switched Janeway to tea, mm -hmm. and we also don't really have Janeway... Janeway doesn't really... Like, you would expect Janeway to be like, uh can't have coffee wee. but if she does that then she'll be <laughs> negging coffee for the kids and the kids will be like i want to try coffee so we just have her quietly switch to tea and then that's that's it's you know it doesn't yeah. cause any problems and we're not influencing kids to drink coffee isn't that nice i was kind of disappointed when they didn't use my kind of tea though <laughs> earl gray I know it now. You've explained that joke. So, uh, Doctor Noom for a moment talks to, or I guess my diviner talks to Doctor Noom and saying that you know they took his daughter and makes a vague reference to his to his mission and how he's got to save <laughs> you know save them. And uh, so it's it's yeah. diviner's staying very like uh, very indirect. Yeah. So I think that what what we're doing here is we're going to we're we're building sort of an empathy towards the diviner on the Janeway side. Yeah, I think that definitely seemed kind of like what was going on. It was also kind of weird how the, the doctor said that he was coming out of his stasis, but he's still unconscious. How does that work? Coming out of, not out of. Okay. Yeah. And he's apparently talking in his sleep. Well, that would be the coming out of stasis signal. Oh, okay. If he were in stasis, he's not moving or talking at all. Mm. Okay. But coming out of stasis, it's like your 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 par your sleep paralytic goes starts going away. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. 
So this instance suggests a revival method that has to do with the liquid that Diviner was floating in, you know, during the first part part of the season for a while. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dr. Noom suggests something that, or says something kind of abruptly that made me wonder if uh, Tellarites have tails. Because he mentions he wish he knew how to kiss tail like the Ensign does. And obviously they're doing a little bit of self-censoring too, but uh, if Tellarites are related to pigs and pigs have cute little curly tails, then why not? We are heading to Relay Station uh, CR721, <laughs> which if you'll remember, we were at last episode and was unfortunately destroyed, not by our crew, yes. but by... You know, something I noticed last episode was towards the end of the episodes, we sort of, rem- after we did the whole destruction of the Starfleet uh, outpost, we got out of the uniforms. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we got out of them really quick. And we haven't gotten back into them yet. Yeah, although it's just occurring to me now that when they're on their ship by themselves, they don't really have a reason to wear them. They only seem to wear them when they're doing a mission or going off the ship to represent, you know, Starfleet. Yeah, I think it's kind of strange that we don't wear the uniforms aboard the ship, but we wear them when we go mm-hmm. aboard the Borg ship. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that you would want to wear uniforms aboard the ship. You know, just to prove more uniformity among the crew. I mean, they they can't think that they're representing Starfleet to the Borg, right? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. Although they've mentioned in the past that the uniforms are supposedly pretty comfortable, though, too. Right. Maybe they just don't want to mess up their day clothes, but they don't mind getting mud and gunk and stuff or whatever they could possibly encounter on, on their Starfleet uniforms. Sure. And they're more maybe more comfortable, so... And they definitely have a specific place for their comm badges that maybe holds the comm badge in place better and is easier. They kind of wear them without the uniforms. I don't know. It's just just an interesting thing. But, you know, it's just a note, like a side note. It's (laughs) like sometimes they wear the uniforms, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Um, This is actually the time when Hologram Hologram Janeway says that a neurolytic pathogen has shut down the drones. Yes. Uh, and it's the same time that they we go ahead and land the protostar inside a board cube. I, for one, didn't know that there was a landing pad inside of a board cube. Why is there a landing pad inside? I guess just in case you want to land and get assimilated. Yeah. I mm, do, do the board have shuttlecraft to go and like go fly down and make mini assimilations of people? I mean, Fun. they have spheres. Yeah. Do they have smaller craft than their spheres? I would imagine they have small cubes. Oh, okay. Um, I think Seven was on, like, a small cube. Oh, okay. This is an absolutely massive cube. I think it's one of the biggest cubes I've ever seen, too. It's hard for me to really judge the size of the cube. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, up against the Protostar. Well, yeah. This... I mean, the Protostar can fit inside it very easily, but the Protostar is kind of a small ship. Yeah. Um, But... What I was getting at is, could this be the entirety of all that's left of the Collective after Admiral Janeway from the alternate future infected them with the neurolytic pathogen? I have no idea. Mm. Um, I also believe that there were some changes that I'm not sure how they... I'm having timeline issues with the Borg because if this is 20 <laughs> years after, if this is 20 years after the beginning of Star Trek: The Next Generation, that would be 
six years after the end of Voyager. Okay. So that would mean that it is 63, 40, 40 years after that. Oh, so this is before Picard, actually. Because Picard was 23. Uh, Next Generation starts in 2363. Mm-hmm. And Picard somewhere around 2399. Okay. So that's um almost 40 years later. 30, 36 years later. This is 23. Right. So Picard is after this. Yeah. Huh. Curiouser that, and curiouser. Yeah, that brings into question again why the star dates are. I'm now what? Yeah, because it's twenty years later, twenty years from the original Star Trek, from the original the original Star Trek, <laughs> twenty years from the Next Generation. Yeah. Right. So, twenty years after the Next Generation would be the twenty three eighties, which is a little bit after Voyager got back, mm-hmm. and then twenty years after that is when Picard happens because it happens at the turn of the century. Yeah. Did they ever give a star date in the first season of Picard? Yes. Oh, okay. I don't know what it is. So, so here's the thing. So, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if maybe there's something about. Okay. This, this is this is a little convoluted, but something I was thinking about actually this past weekend was. I wonder if the living constructs virus is the same thing that caused the synth uprising in Picard. Like maybe the protostar caused the synth uprising mm-hmm. as opposed to, or mm-hmm. in conjunction with the whole Jatvash thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Jatvash used the living construct mm-hmm. and infected the synths with it. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm you know, seeing that the timeline is different than yeah. I thought it was. Okay. So we have a little, we have a reveal of the sleeping drones, which also, by the way, gave me another little touchstone to Picard, which, again, you may not have seen, but it's when uh, Gwen tells Jenkin Pog to look up. It's a, it's a very small line, but it's a very big yeah, yeah. line in Picard. Look up, Jean Luc. And um, we get another little lesson on the Borg, which yeah. was the lesson about the Vinculum. Right. You know what a Vinculum is? You know, I... Mm-hmm. It's a little line. It's the line in a fraction. It's a little divisor line. Oh, okay. You know, one, one, one divided by 250 equals a Borg mm-hmm. cube, right? So that little line between the two, that's a vinculum, because that's the line over which they cross and become one. Or over which they the one crosses and becomes the denominator. Hmm, okay. As in, like, one over 250. So... It's the line. Okay. So I, it's a I, thing across which everything either divides or combines, depending on the direction you're going. Okay. I, I get what you're saying. So that's our little lesson that we learn about. That's our second lesson that we learn about the Borg. And once again, as we're climbing through this cube, we have zero flying around <laughs> yep. and making everyone else climb. Yep. That is kind of awkward to me i don't know why no one's brought it up with zero yet like can you stop (laughs) making us all like exert ourselves when you're just flying around (laughs) 
in this scene, it certainly makes sense why they're flying and not using their legs. Well, no, my, that's fine. My question is why why make everyone else <laughs> use their legs and climb? Yeah, like Rock would have never had to catch Dal if Zero had been flying everybody up to the next level. So again, going back to Picard, mm -hmm. we find ourselves in the room where X person had to make the choice of how to control the collective. Okay. So Dal puts together. Well, someone's got to go in. Someone's got to, you know, get not assimilated, but someone's got to communicate with the Borg, and the only way to do that is by connecting to them. Mm -hmm. And we're reminded once again that Zero was once a part of a hive mind, or a collective, I should say. Yes. So Zero volunteers to go in. Once inside, we learn that the Borg designation for Medusans is species 802, or 802. Sure. To me, this means that Medusans were encountered by the Borg relatively early compared to, say, species 8472, that we, the highest number that I can recall that they ever encountered. Sure. It was also interesting how once inside the Borg consciousness, Zero is both slightly attracted by the Borg's words and slightly repulsed. Okay. When we're hearing the Borg, we only generally hear what I would consider to be more of a masculine voice. Yes, we hear a male voice when we're inside the Borg. When Zero's inside the Borg, yes, 100%. This is what we were talking about a moment ago when we said there's no queen reference. There should be, the queen should be the one talking to Zero. Yeah, and I thought that at least, I mean, the Borg have always talked when it's not the queen just talking, but like when the Borg first got started in, in Q-Who and... It was multiple voices. Multiple voices, multiple... Yep, all overlapping and multiple genders. I thought it would have been really cool if they had taken the opportunity to even have a subtle text of Alice Krieg's voice in there underneath of the voice actor that did the voice acting for the Borg, who was Ben Thompson in this episode. So Zero's like, well, you guys aren't hurt by my by my appearance like everybody else is. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Borg have apparently either encountered and or assimilated medusans in the past mm -hmm. i wonder how that works assimilating a gas <laughs> yeah that's a very interesting question i wonder if the borg have some sort of gas aspect which also leads me to wonder if they have a liquid aspect or a plasma aspect Ooh. well it occurs to me that just because the borg gave them a designation of 802 doesn't mean that they necessarily tried to conquer them. If they figured out that there wasn't anything worthwhile for them to do with that species, they just said, okay, well, they're over there and we're going to go over here now. Yeah, that's what I was implying by the phrase encountered and or assimilated. Mm-hmm. Hologram Janeway has the, the Borg about to wake up. Yep. So there's another little thread that I'm having issues with through this episode about... Mm. I think the crew sort of assumes that the Borg is waking up because they've contacted Zero. Uh-huh. But they're talking to Zero right now. They know where Zero is. Yeah. If they're waking up, what is their point in waking up the drones? Mm. The Borg waking up is generally in response to a threat. Right. The only threat currently... Well, there's, there's no threat currently because they, they're not threatened by Zero. And I don't believe that they're threatened in the moment by the other kids on the ship either. I think Janeway didn't they didn't she indicate that they were had started scanning the ship? Yes. So the board could be 
interested in assimilating the ship. They could be. Absolutely. Oh, okay. So probably, especially when Zero starts talking about the, the living construct and explaining, I'm sure the Borg are like, yeah, let's go, let's go get that. And then we'll use that to assimilate things. Yeah. Um, they try to transport back, but there are no transporters. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, they're grabbed by the the Dinobots or one of the Dinobots, I guess. <laughs> the, the, yeah, they look like uh, rhinoceros people to me. I I like how Dal realizes that they, they have to go. They have to make a strategic re- retreat. And the only way they're going to save Zero is by regrouping and coming back at this from another angle. And I think that's a very mature... Uh, thing for for Dal to say and to realize. Oh, I didn't think that they were. I thought that Dal was just saying we're going to leave. It didn't occur to me that he was saying we're going to leave and figure it out and come back. I thought that he was like, well, I guess we got to abandon Zero. Well, certainly Rock talk thought that uh, we we can't leave them behind. Yeah, but it seemed to me like Dal was saying, no, we're, we got to regroup. We got to go back to the ship. Maybe not leave the cube, but go back to the ship and figure this out okay similar to the when they captured picard and you know everybody just kind of retreats and then they go and figure out how to get picard back so the rhinoceros person is definitely really cool i'd be interested to learn what species that is it's during this retreat that we learn about the adaptation of the board by seeing it firsthand dows shoots him with a phaser and then tries again and now they've adapted this has sort of been explained to us before so we decided to use sort of like more percussive physical methods. Yes. And I am curious where Gwen learned to make a batleth. We've seen before that Gwen has seemed to have encountered the Klingons before. In like the first half of the first half, I guess the first quarter of the series, they did encounter a Klingon ship and she was the one who knew what they were. Ah, okay. Well, there we go. Our science officer pops up and lets us know that we need to change the phase variance, mm-hmm. which is sort of something that we learned in Next Generation and Voyager to fight the Borg. And the physical assaults, for some reason, are not rebuffed. Now, we have force fields on brigs that you can't walk <laughs> through. Yeah. So why can't the Borg rebuff a physical assault? Ooh. That's not something I'd considered before. Okay. <laughs> One thing that I watched when we, when we sort of came in to this area was the walkways. Yeah. Right. So the walkways are, are very much staggered. Yeah. Uh, in, you know, around the, the place. Suddenly we have two walkways that are sort of like above each other. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, conveniently we're able to drop that bridge and, and, oh, this is a thing that happens twice in this episode where we see, because the camera shows us that below Dal and behind him, there's sort of like an exit doorway, as long as someone can get down to that lower that lower walkway. Okay. So Dal drops Quinn onto that lower walkway, you know, to try to go find Zero. Yeah, and that's where we get one of my favorite shots of the episode. We did a little bit of Franksy-inspired flippy-dippy there. We did, yes. That's when we looked <laughs> down beneath Dal and behind him. So, like, because that's the way that he knew that that exit was there. Mm-hmm. But there's no way for him to have seen that from where he was. I think it's the same way that they came in. Down below them? Yeah. 
Because okay. it seems like that they're, he's just retracing their steps. He's just had to figure out how to get to the next level below them, you know, at some point, too. We have this this confrontation between Zero and the Borg, which is when the Borg suggests, you know, they, they're going to they're going to assimilate the living construct and use that to assimilate others. Yeah. And Zero accidentally lets slip a uh, Wii when they're talking about themselves just for a split second. And it. It, it occurred to me that maybe they were a little bit intrigued by the pro- prospect of going back into a collective mind. What was the phrase they said when they said we? I. The reason I ask is I think that they were talking about the crew of the protostar. Oh, okay. I, f- I forget the exact phrase, but they re- rebuffed themselves and they corrected and they said I. Oh, could, could they have been trying to hide the fact that there were other people there? Potentially. Oh, okay. But, you know, too late. And that's when (laughs) the assimilation happens. Yeah. So after that moment when the assimilation happens, that's when the Borg drones start actually coming for people. I hadn't noticed that before. That's interesting perspective. And then as Gwen is trying to escape, Hologram Janeway talks to her and says, hey, you gotta gotta go, like, passive, and they'll just pass you by. But I have an issue with that. (laughs) Okay. Because she definitely just attacked one of them with a batleth. <laughs> yeah. And they're definitely after all their other people. So why would they then let her walk by just because she's not presenting a threat right then? Especially when one of them notices that she's walking by and looks at her. Now, this is the second time. She's walking straight forward, you know, through them and then away from them with them behind her. And she sort of, like, looks to her left and can see what's happening behind her. Just like a moment earlier, Dal could see beneath him and back towards the walkway now I, I understand the explanation you've given about that yeah but the uh, the team has the team has been captured mm-hmm so after the team has been captured Gwen somehow finds them aboard this Borg cube which you've said yourself is pretty gargantuan oh I didn't realize yeah that makes sense you how did she find them yeah she's she's found them and then that's when a uh, uh, Borg zero comes in with the whole flat affect <laughs> and the the upgraded you know hands and arms yeah i think that there's a thing that happened here with zero i think mm. that part of part of zero's whole deal is still guilt about what he did to diviner and gwen mm-hmm. i think that the reason zero volunteered themselves to be assimilated mm-hmm. there may have been a little part of zero saying well if i get assimilated at least i can't hurt any of them myself myself it's it won't be my fault anymore i mean i won't exist this. anymore it won't be me i won't have to experience hurting somebody right mm-hmm. and i feel like maybe when zero is has come into the chamber where everyone is i think that zero's guilt is keeping zero assimilated mm. because they have to assure zero that it's okay like zero basically gwen has to provide forgiveness to zero for Zero yeah. to fight the assimilation. I feel like before Gwen said that, it was easier for Zero just to escape into the assimilation and not have to feel that guilt anymore. Okay. Yeah, I was. I, I wanted to say something about the scene. I thought what Gwen was saying was very touching, but I was wrestling with where to go with it and how to take it. And I th- appreciate you helping me figure out what I... Saying it, say, saying it for me. Or, well, not for me, but I, I appreciate you putting it in, into words. 
Well, what zero zero's thing is like we won't hurt others, right? So yeah. then the Borg can just flip that switch in Zero's consciousness because the zero the Borg don't think they're hurting anybody. The Borg think that they are Ooh. upgrading their like enlightening someone into the collective and they're becoming um. part of a greater whole. Just like I mean, it goes all the way back to no one ever thinks that they're doing something evil. Even okay. when they are. The Borg yeah. the Borg are not evil. The Borg are very heavily misguided. Mm-hmm. Because they think that they're creating perfection. Oh. So I never saw it that way. So when Zero says we will not hurt others, mm-hmm. then the Borg can say, No, you're not gonna hurt anybody. You're going to assimilate them mm. and they're going to become part of this greater collective. <laughs> Don't you remember being part of a collective? Wasn't that great? <laughs> Weren't you great together? <laughs> okay. And it takes Gwen uh, basically explaining to Zero that they need to stop beating themselves up over what they did to the Diviner. Gwen also saying, You know, I don't blame you. I, in fact, forgive you for what you did. And Gwen finishes with resistance is not futile. Yeah, yeah. So one along the way, one of the things that Gwen says is actually a little. It's kind of a joke. Uh-huh. I think it's kind of amusing that what Gwen says, the words that Gwen says, are we get hurt, revealing pieces of ourselves to mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Zero got hurt by revealing pieces of himself to the diviner and Gwen. Mostly Gwen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think that that experience was somewhat of a... Um, give me a second. I just lost it. Trauma? Yeah, a traumatic a, a traumatic event? Yeah, that was, that was certainly a trauma. Because Zero... It's that thing about, you know, adolescents doing things that they didn't know that they were strong enough to do and then being horrified by what they've done. Mm. So... Is self-inflicted PTSD a, a thing? So I don't know that it's well. You can you can beat yourself up. I mean, you can if you beat yourself up over something that you didn't mean to do. Mm-hmm. Then sure. Okay. Because I think that's what Zero is doing. Zero has been doing for for a minute. Yeah. Um, Zero feels responsible for both Gwyn and the Diviner. There's still a piece of... See, Gwyn, if you'll notice, Zero still is trying... So, this is the thing. In the holodeck, I'm not sure whether Zero stopped the holodeck to make sure that the Medusan effect wasn't reproduced on the holodeck, Mm -hmm. or... Was it to hide what Zero did to the Diviner? Yeah, I was asking myself the same thing. And, well, the best example I can think of that I am I'm kind of want to parallel this with, when the cutis shines a laser light right into the camera, a laser light doesn't come out of my TV and hurt my eyes. I can look at that and that's not going to hurt me. So there's some sort of downgrade of the intensity so it seems like something coming out of a hologram like the true appearance of a medusan would be sort of filtered through so especially it seems like the holodeck should the the safeties should protect somehow the the viewer from that sure so if it's that 
if that is a fact, then that means what Zero was doing was hiding what Zero did from Gwen. Yeah, unless Zero didn't know that the holodeck could do that. We're all still learning about some of the technology of Starfleet in, in you know in this show as well. Or it could have been both too. I'm gonna go to the idea that this story is, you know, it's a story, it's like a coming of age story. Okay. So we're learning lessons about ourselves and about the universe. And one thing that Zero Zero needs to learn, just like uh, Rock Talk had to learn a little while ago, mm-hmm. was don't hide things because when you hide them, it's much worse than this the thing that happened. Like, mm. Rock Talk didn't tell anybody that Murph ate the, what was it, like some torpedoes or something? I think so, yeah. And so, like, it, it, hiding that, the the fact that it was hidden and nobody knew could have mm-hmm. caused a lot more problems. So, Zero's mm-hmm. learning not to hide from Gwen what Zero did. Okay. I, I think that, I think that it's not that the holodeck can reproduce Medusan Madness. Okay. I think that it's that Zero was just hiding what zero did to the diviner mm. because what zero says because what's now the way that zero placated gwen before was by mm-hmm. saying not i drove him mad but he can't hurt you anymore so that right. was still hiding what what zero did like still shoving that under the rug mm-hmm. this time what what zero has done again with the holodeck is turn it off so Gwen can't see what happened. It's the same thing as saying he can't hurt you anymore, not as opposed to I did X, Y, Z. The holodeck was about to show Gwen what happened. Yeah. I mean... It's it's pretty intense. Yeah, it is. What What do you say we take a little break and come right back? Yeah, we'll be right back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us again. Uh-huh. So just before the break, we were discussing Zero and Gwen in the holodeck and the possibility that Zero may have been hiding what they did to the Diviner. All in relation to Zero's guilt keeping Zero assimilated. This is just sort of like providing those supporting details to underscore Zero's guilt and what's keeping Zero in that assimilated state. During some of that scene in the holodeck, there are some things that uh, Gwen says that kind of in- indicate to me that Gwen already knows what had happened. A hundred percent. I'm 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 actually a hundred percent certain that Gwen knows exactly what happened, and we just we aren't bringing it to zero until zero says it because it's mm-hmm. it's traumatic, and we don't want to present it as an accusation. Mm-hmm. And connecting to that scene and the scene with the board, Gwen says that she understands why. Zero did what Zero had felt they had to do, and they don't blame Zero for that. Right. This is this is going back to the line that I was saying, was that Gwen says we get hurt, mm-hmm. revealing pieces of ourselves to each other. Zero hurt himself as much as he hurt the Diviner by hurting Gwen in that moment where he revealed pieces of him, where it where Zero revealed pieces of themselves to other people oh okay so this is the bringing it back to zero without an accusation this is just an acknowledgement of we're Mm -hmm. all going through similar things we go through similar things and one of the things that you've gone through is something that i've gone through yeah which is getting hurt Mm -hmm. by revealing pieces of myself to others 
Yeah. Because way back in the day, Gwen was hurt by Dal meeting Gwen as the progeny of the Diviner. That's a piece of herself that she revealed to Dal that sucks. So a piece of Zero that Zero revealed to everyone is that Zero is mm-hmm. a potential weapon. <laughs> you know, potential weapon, yeah. It is confined to this mask of themselves. So quickly following on from Gwen's assurance, you know, of understanding in that line about being hurt by revealing ourselves to others. Yes. She's also so she uses that as sort of like a like a like a um like a, a pry bar mm. to open Zero's heart a little bit mm-hmm. to then insert the virus of resistance is not futile. <laughs> oh. Because see Gwen has provided Zero this understanding, which is a connection and a linkage. So now mm-hmm. that he mm-hmm. is with her and he believes her, then she can also push in mm-hmm. Resistance is not futile, and you can say, "Well, oh, this is my this is my source of positive and assured information, and now I'm getting this piece of information that resistance mm-hmm. is not futile. So now I can actually go back to my secondary collective, which is the Protostar, and that's the weapon that Zero then turns on the Borg, which is Zero is already a part of the co- of a collective. That collective being the Protostar crew, exactly." Yeah. And that's when Picard grabs Data's arm and goes, sleep, Data. <laughs> I, I really do think that that's the same command. I think that Zero just used the very same command that Picard suggested Data use. And because Zero says that Zero put them all to sleep. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> very same command. Them's legs is back again. Yeah, they they come and go. <laughs> yeah. So we we head back to the ship, and uh, and we make our escape. Mm-hmm. So what did we learn this episode? Well, we learned that they cannot de- deactivate or remove the weapon. The living construct, yes. The living construct. Yes, and we learned that we, the Protostar crew, are a collective of our own. Okay. And so we are we are one of many which is stronger than a one mm-hmm. and can be held up against another mini as a strong force. Mm. Okay. We also learned that although this weapon, this living construct, if we ever encounter Starfleet, it's going to be used, well, it's going to use itself as a weapon mm-hmm. against Starfleet. But yeah, we, the Protostar crew, can use our Starfleet values and just avoid causing any harm by doing other stuff mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with Starfleet, yeah. but still carry Starfleet in our hearts and apparently on our uniforms. <laughs> yes. Pog brings up the fact that, but Starfleet has the answer of who you are, talking yeah. to Dal. And I love, I like Dal's answer there. The answer will always be there. It just might take us a little longer. And again, Dal is showing a remarkable amount of maturity here in this this statement as well, and some wisdom also in their statement. Agreed. That's a potential. That's a potential interpretation of it. I also believe that one interpretation of it could be: we don't have to rush to grow up. 
let's learn some things. Oh, okay. That, yeah. First, we'll take some time to learn some well, things. I, and it'll take some time to get there, but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. But we just have to learn how to get there first. So let's let's pump the brakes okay. on trying to get into Starfleet. <laughs> and we have to that's what they have to do. They yeah, they now have to learn how to get they know how to physically get there. Just like like any kid knows but, how to go like pick up a cup of coffee, but that's not what's gonna make you an adult. <laughs> let's pump the brakes on finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend. <laughs> what's gonna what's gonna what's gonna make you what's gonna make you grow up is watching Star Trek Prodigy and learning to drink tea instead of drinking coffee and killing Talaxian Vulcans. <laughs> Two things. <laughs> Talaxian Vulcan hybrids, is, is that even a possible biologically? We've seen it. We've literally seen it. Uh, well, that, that that was an accident. I was talking. No, oh, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> it was he wasn't sexually created. I I understand. Re reproductive. I I I got you. I I understand. Uh, sorry. It's, I wouldn't call him an accident. I think he'd be very offended. Don't you all see that this is wrong? <laughs> So in true Starfleet fashion, we find a uh, in true Starfleet fashion we find a distress signal. Mm -hmm. And what could be more exciting to a Starfleet crew than finding a distress signal? Oh, can we go after it? Can we go after it? There's some funny. There's some funny math that uh, Dal does here, because oh, what really? he says is that five brains is better than one. Oh, uh oh, but there are six crewmember. Well, yeah, but he's still missing somebody. Because oh. the the one that he's referring to should be the person who sent the distress signal, right? Because that's they're the ones that are having the problem, and they're the one that has the one brain, right? Well, otherwise, mm. who else is he referring to as the one? He's saying five heads is better than one, but it, who's the one? Who's the one that he's referring to? Just generically? No, I think he's referring to the very moment that they're in, and he's considering that distress signal initially uh -huh. as the one so we'll bring all five of us and and let's not forget he's leaving somebody else out too Murph Janeway Janeway so he actually means seven and how dare you say Murph has half a brain <laughs> I yeah I was kind of taken aback by that too I mean I I love Murph I love Murph the way they are and I want to know more and more about yeah, Murph the way they are because Murph is differently abled doesn't mean that Murph is yeah. half a brain. What are we teaching children? <laughs> uh oh. I, I I don't know. So we uh we are we now have the Dauntless warping in like it's on Discovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is Admiral Janeway and her log at uh started six one two eight four point three arriving at uh relay station seven twenty one, which as if you recall from last episode has been pretty well decimated. Well not decimated, yeah. but it's a lot of its outer sections are taken apart and there's still <laughs> a central spindle, but oh, just that okay. interesting thing she says is that there's no sign of survivors. Yeah, how are there no survivors? What happened to that escape pod? The escape pod does not have. I'm. A, I don't think escape pods have warp engines. Well, so yeah, it's got to so, be within like a light year, right? Yeah. the The whole point of an escape pod is once it gets launched, it almost immediately starts broadcasting a distress signal. So they 
probably would have started to receive the distress signal before they even dropped out of warp. A hundred percent. And, you know, presumably that escape pod is just hovering there. And I mean, it's got thrusters. If the uh, relay station was in orbit around a planet, then he could have possibly landed on the planet, but we it never saw not, a planet. No, they're at the furthest. They're, that's the furthest out relay station. Yeah. There's no sign of survivors. And that it's okay. So we have, what are the options here? Either someone has picked up this escape pod mm -hmm. or maybe the escape pod blew up when it ejected or, or maybe it's there, but he died at some point. But the escape pod should still be transmitting a distress signal. Yeah, but whether he's alive or not. Yeah, but then they would scan the escape pod and say there's still no survivors because he is dead. No sign of survivors. A sign of a distress signal would be a sign of survivors. Okay. Because you would assume that if it's an escape pod, someone was in the escape pod. So that would be a sign of a survivor. Someone survived initially mm. and then died later. Oh, that's still a sign of... Yeah. yeah, that's a sign of survivors. Where did this guy go? <gasps> Could the Borg have beat them to it? I, I don't know. And what... Okay, so they turned around from Starfleet and they went back the other way, mm -hmm. right? After they left that station. So we're now, again, further outside of Federation space. Mm -hmm. So there's no telling what happened to that guy. I mean, it all depends. All of this depends. All of this hinges on whether there are warp engines aboard that escape pod. Yeah. I'm not sure if some have them. I do know that they use other craft besides escape pods to escape. So shuttlecraft and other auxiliary craft. But... It definitely seems like the escape pods themselves don't have much more than just thrusters. They don't even have impulse engines. I don't think they're supposed to have warp engines. I think that they're supposed to be, you know, mm -hmm. presumably either they they pilot down to a down to a planet or they get picked mm -hmm. up by a ship. Yeah. Why was there only one escape pod? There's only one person on that ship. Yeah, but they were set up to receive other people, and there was definitely space for other people. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> interestinger and interestinger. Yeah. Admiral Janeway's, like, building this this puzzle, and the, the facts yeah. that she's seeing are... she doesn't She's not getting the full picture. Yeah. And the picture that she's being given is that something sinister is going on with the protostone. Yeah. So either Chakotay's been taken over... Mm -hmm. Or or the protostar has been taken over, and either mm -hmm. way, what happened to Chakotay? Because I think that instead of finding the diviner, they expected to find Chakotay. Yeah, definitely, and that's what they were. That was a red herring we were given at the end of the episode. Is that when they're looking up at what we hope she hopes is Chakotay, and then we find the diviner. Oh, I, yeah. So, oddly, I never thought that that was going to be Chakotay. Like I. I didn't expect to see. I, I was surprised to see Chakotay in you know the previous episode where we have the flashbacks. Mm. Mm -hmm. I do wonder where Chakotay is just a little bit though. That's definitely a good question. I would like to find that out myself. Hopefully by before the end of the season. Potentially. So the diviner wakes wakes up, and that's pretty much the end of the episode. It is. That is the end of the episode. I liked this episode. I have my questions mm -hmm. about the Borg. Yeah. I don't think it was the 100% best episode mm -hmm. thus far in the second half of the season, although we're only a couple episodes in. Yeah. 
Uh, I am going to give this episode an 8.7. That's my rating. Okay. I enjoyed this episode as well. There was some weird stuff going on with Borg, but I kind of chalked up some of the weirdness to it's a kid's show. Sure. And you've got to kind of dilute it a little bit. Yeah. So maybe even the voices of of the Borg were diluted a little bit, so they're not as scary. Sure. Yeah. I think that the Borg thing will be explained along the mm-hmm. way. I also think okay. that the that whatever happened with the Denobulan from the relay station will also be explained. I'm actually kind of wondering if there's someone shadowing the proto star besides the Dauntless. That's a good like someone oh, wow. bet- someone between the Dauntless and the proto star who's just Could staying it... ahead of the Dauntless but behind the proto star. Could it be Chicote? I wonder it could be the I wonder if that's it maybe it's the location and all their little friends. <laughs> I think I'll give this episode an eight point six. Sounds great. You know, the next episode of Star Trek Prodigy will be released on the tenth of November in two thousand twenty two. It was written by Aaron Waltke. Mm. And it's directed by Andrew Schmidt. In this episode, which is called all the world's a stage. Uh-huh. The crew answers a distress call. So we're picking up right where we left off on this episode. Cool. And what they find is a colony that's somehow trapped in the past of Starfleet. So in the path of Starfleet? Past. Past. Oh, hmm. Interesting. So some timey-wimey stuff. For that colony, sure. And and for the younger audience, the, the title is a reference to Shakespeare. It is indeed. Well, thank you for sharing. Until next time, everyone, stay positive, dream big, and you'll hear from us again soon. Support the continued making of this show through (laughs) Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kako 3 Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay. Hey, my name is Jack Dorino. Do you want me to record too? No. Oh. I'll try again. Sorry. Hello, my name is Jack Dorino. Hi, my name is Earl Gray. We do a podcast. It's called Let's Talk About Treks. It's an episodic review of today's best visions of the future featuring us. Yes. Your favorite podcast beverage reviewers. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put something in the chat and we'll see if maybe that works. Right. Um, um oh I guess I need to open the chat. Chat chatty chat chat. Here's the chat. I'm gonna take a swig of my drink.
These are, I'm paraphrasing. Okay. Do you want me to keep it straight up to Earl Grey, or do you want me to play? You with can say whatever the f you want. <laughs> okay. strange that's what i was gonna say So we just do line for line, I guess. Okay. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Jack. I'm Earl. And we're the makers of Let's Talk About Treks. It's an episodic review of today's best vision of the future. That's Star Trek. And we do deep dives on every episode about every week after... Mm, let's let's try again. Just try to say, say that again a couple okay. times. Sure. Actually, I forgot. I can splice them together. Go ahead. Yeah. And we do deep dives on every episode about a week after the release. We hope you'll join us. It's fun. It's exhausting. It's funny. It's strange. You're strange. And we talk strangely about Star Trek. We do. You do. We both do, and we hope you'll join us. You can find Let's Talk About Treks wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, so now we're just gonna we're just gonna reverse the first two lines, so that we have swapped lines now, right? So oh, it's, so okay. it's, first it'll be all you go first, and then I'll go, and then you'll have the we'll mate where the makers, right? So we'll we're just reverse. Yeah. I, right. Okay. So I'm one. You're two. I'm three. Okay. Yes. Hi, I'm Earl. And I'm Jack Dorino. Well, yeah, you maybe want to say the okay. whole name. Hi, I'm Earl Gray. And I'm Jack Dorino. We are the makers of Let's Talk About Treks. It's an episodic review of today's best visions of the future. That's Star Trek. And we do deep dives on every episode about a week after release. We hope you'll join us. It's fun. It's exhausting. It's funny. It's strange. You're strange. 
<laughs> and we talk strangely about Star Trek. We do. You do. We both do. And we hope you'll join us. You can find Let's Talk About Treks wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay. That's one. I don't know how long it is. I'll figure it out later. Oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I guess we'll go with that for now. Okay. Cute. I'll just see if I can put something together, and uh, and that'll be our first ad. Cool. Okay. All right. What was uh, Chris's dinner? I made him a salad. Ooh. Uh, with any meat on it or just straight vegetables? Chicken and sausage. Nice. Chicken sausage. Chicken and Ooh. chicken sausage. Ah. Uh, well, enjoy your evening, and I will look forward to talking to you next time. Okay, send me the files. Cheers. Yep. I know.